0: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates Price and Coverage Match Limited by State Law.
1: Blog Radio.
0: Lucis Trust, a non-profit, non-political, and non-sectarian organization on the roster of the Economic and Social Council of the United Nations
2: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Inner Sight. Once again, we're continuing with our series called Death and Dying, and our purpose is to see if we can assuage the fear of death. Uh, Our basic premise is that uh, we could lead more productive lives if we could eliminate fear. And, of course, death is one of mankind's greatest fears. And I'd like to begin with a quote. Death is life with knowledge and growth and beauty. It's home, serenity, peace, peace. Death is life. It really is life. And I don't like to sound overly optimistic about such a topic, but that is a comment that was made by a woman by the name of Vida. And she made that comment uh, after her completion of a near-death experience. And I would like to ask this at this time. What is a near-death experience?
0: Not having had one, I don't know that I can speak uh, with any authority, but my understanding is that there are, in a sense, two kinds of death. There's clinical death when all the vital signs uh, of uh, heart rate and pulse and so on disappear, and then there's irreversible biological death when the organs have deteriorated beyond a certain point and cannot function. After the clinical death when the vital signs seem to have disappeared still resuscitation or revival is sometimes possible but after the the irreversible biological death obviously it's irreversible and one cannot be brought back into the into the body and the near death experience happens when a person appears to be dead but is in fact um, still linked in some way uh between soul and body, there is still a link that has not been completely severed. Hmm.
1: Yes, I would agree with that. It's, it's, um, uh, there's also the um, the um, um, example of what they call out-of-the-body experiences, which is very similar to a near-death experience, but it, it usually occurs in cases where someone is <clears throat> falling asleep or they're so relaxed they just suddenly pop out of their body. But that that's uh, not necessarily a, a death situation, but that's a uh, very similar to... Uh, and we'll talk about that a little mm-hmm. later.
2: Is the near-death death experience something that happens to only a few people, or is it fairly common?
0: My understanding is that uh, these types of experiences that are called NDEs, um, near-death experiences, have um, gone on throughout history. There have been mention of such experiences happening to people who have come very, very close to the brink of death and then for some reason or another have turned back to to the world and to the body and have told of their experience. But evidently, uh, the work of a pioneering physician named Raymond Moody, who wrote a book titled Life After Life, which was published in 1975, really began the uh, upsurge of interest in NDE's. Um, I think there's also been some academic research on that level, which you might know more about.
1: Yes, um, George Gallup. We interviewed George Gallup a few years ago, and uh, he said that he had conducted a poll on this, and he found that at that time, at least 15% of the American adult population had had an unusual experience at the moment of death or near death, and he was quite convinced that uh, these people were telling the truth. So yes, it is. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, that comes out to somewhere around like maybe 13 million people.
2: Mm-hmm. That have had <coughs> disease. Yeah,
1: or something unusual like that, an out-of-the-body experience, let's say. Mm-hmm. So it, yes, it's quite common, and it's um, mm-hmm. it's being recorded more and more than uh, lately because um, they're beginning to collect this evidence. And, uh...
0: Yes, it's become an academic field of study as I understand it with um, I, if I'm uh, not mistaken one of the major areas of research was done at the University of Connecticut mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Kenneth Ring was one of the pioneers in that near-death uh, experience mm-hmm. field of study so there's research and there's um, what do you call it? Um, case studies being compiled that have given a lot more um, uh, knowledge to the whole phenomenon and uh, grounded it in a more scientific approach.
1: Mm. Yes, there's an organization, in fact, called uh, the International Association for Near-Death Studies, IANS, and uh, they have collected a lot of data, a lot of um, evidence and a lot of the um, stories that People have had near-death experiences, have told them, and, and there's been a lot of study made from, mm-hmm. and uh, analysis made from all of these, and it's extremely interesting what they've come up with.
0: In fact, but. Dale did uh, an interview with Dr. Kenneth Ring some years ago and also with a few people who had had uh, mm-hmm. NDEs.
1: Yes, we've uh, talked to them, several people who have had some very Interesting near death experiences. They've uh, had some very core, what they call a core experience. They've gone very deep and they've met these beings of light and so forth. And it's just been a wonderful experience with these people. But uh, we can talk about those in a minute, perhaps.
2: I think also that uh, at one time, this used to be dismissed as hocus pocus, but what I'm, what I'm understanding from both of you is that. We no longer can dismiss it as hocus-pocus because uh, uh, millions of people are reporting it right now. There are books being written about their experience, and I suppose that's a lot due to the uh, latest technological advances with uh, uh, science, of people being brought back to life on the operating uh, uh, table once they've died.
1: Yes, um, because the um, technology today has so improved, and the, the emergency medical team is usually on the scene very early, uh, whether it's in an operating room or, <clears throat> or in, the, in the emergency room or an ambulance coming to uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, a, a place of trauma someplace. And um, they're able to stabilize the body more quickly now and um, so that the uh, soul can have a more viable vehicle but, say, a more viable body in which to return. And um, there's... Um, <clears throat> so so that is happening more and more, and that, that's uh, because the emergency medical team is on the sh- spot more quickly. Uh, that is uh, adding to all the, uh, the
0: phenomenon that's been occurring. I suppose it's also a credit to uh, just the advancements in medical science in general that can treat uh, severe illnesses and injuries uh, in ways that weren't possible 10 or 20 or 30 years ago and bring people back. In fact, one thing that comes to mind is they now, I think, know how to um, rescue a a drowning victim who has been plunged into cold water and been um, submerged for, I don't know, 20 minutes or more. The fact that the temperature is so cold lowers the body's uh, vital signs and somehow staves off death, and the person can be brought back to uh, um, a reasonable, decent standard of life, not just brought back into the body. Obviously, you hope consciousness comes with it. But there are all kinds of advancements in medical science.
1: But you mentioned earlier about this being hocus-pocus. I mean, some in in the medical field have said that this was only hallucinations.
0: The people that had these the people experiences? people that had these
1: experiences were only hallucinations and uh, uh, it didn't really happen as they said it did. But uh, as Dr. Ring has said, um, if you look at all the evidence and, you know, <clears throat> analyze all the evidence together, not just take each case individually, but if you analyze all this evidence together, then it becomes very convincing and um, uh, you can't help but uh, think that this is all true, this is really happening. It's not as a result of drug inducement or something like that.
2: Well, I think that one one thing that would confirm the credibility of it would be the uh, idea that maybe there are certain common denominators amongst all the uh, near-death experiences. Are there certain themes or similarities to the majority of the near-death experiences?
0: Well, there are. That's what's so fascinating. And they seem to transcend cultural differences and religious differences. Uh, geographical, uh, linguistic, uh, racial differences—all of those are overridden by these um, similarities. One phenomenon apparently is the the meeting of uh, the meeting with some presence that they refer to as a being of light or an angel. Some people interpret it to be an angel or even to be God. Uh, it's a lighted president. Presence that radiates unconditional love and acceptance and understanding of the person. And another um, uh, familiar encounter is the uh, the sense of a review of the life, which I find fascinating. You know how people, when they come near death, say, "My life passed before my eyes." Mm-hmm. Well, apparently, it really does in a, a scroll-like fashion, from what these people say. Uh, For example, one person that I read about in the news just recently who plunged um, hundreds and hundreds of feet uh, in a parachute that didn't open said just this thing, that his life passed before his eyes. As one approaches death, one makes this review. And so people cite this as a common phenomenon, that they, they look back over their life, do an accounting, and they realize that they are held accountable for the quality of their life. But at the same time, there's this sense of profound and uh, unconditional love so that one is, in a way, bolstered or strengthened to be able to face oneself and make this judgment. It makes me think that this last judgment we hear about is the judgment that we render of ourselves. Uh, there's no harsher judge than oneself, probably.
1: Yes, I may just to, to cite one or two cases here of the, uh, some of the people that uh, we had interviewed, and one of them was, her name was Vita, and uh, the opening quote was hers uh, when she said, uh, her revelation after having this experience was death is life. And to her, it was. It was so such a beautiful experience. And her experience was, she was in a car accident, <clears throat> and uh, she was thrown from the car, and she had excruciating pain in her back. And when she exhaled, she suddenly left her body. And she found herself hovering over the scene uh, where the, she had been lying there. She could see her her body. Uh, not my body, she says, but that body. So she, at that moment, she began to distinguish the difference between that body lying on the ground and her own self where she was hovering above the scene and she could hear the people talking, and she could see the whole scene. And uh, <clears throat> she, um, then suddenly she uh, left that atmosphere. She, she went higher. She saw a light, a, a tremendous light, and she uh, was suddenly higher. up. I left the body, the more atmosphere I became, I expanded. I did not have a specific identity. I belonged to the whole. So Mm. once you leave the um, limitations of the physical body, this is the kind of experience that one enters into, a tremendous expansion. And uh, then she uh, (coughs) felt an overwhelming, deep feelings of peace and love and excitement. And she was all dimensions, without a pattern, but she was always moving towards the light. And uh, it was a magnificent light. And then she had what uh, Sarah just uh, mentioned about um, a review, a life review. And it was like she described it like a movie reel, a movie of mm, her life. I've heard that. And not only the past and the present, but also the future, what, what her future was going to look like. And. Uh, what would happen if, she, on, the, on this film, on this review, she saw what would happen if she chose to stay in that state and not return to her physical body. And she would be leaving her husband and her daughter behind, and uh, suddenly she realized that she had to return because there's this overwhelming sense of responsibility for her family really drew her back into her physical body again. and. Uh, she realized she had to return because um, she was a responsible person and she wanted to be a mother for her children and not, but have to, someone else have to do, bring up her child. So.
0: But what's interesting is that so many people like that say that they are given a choice. They they uh, apparently have the free will to return to the body or not, uh, and I find that interesting. That uh, it's left up to the the soul to decide where the responsibilities lie with the family and uh, community and work on earth or on the inner level
2: so once again, the concept of free will carries on even to the next life yes, yes everybody has every soul every
1: person in the world has a plan has some something to do in this life uh, whether it's a mission a mission yeah uh-huh. and it's um this is what um In in fact, Vita had another (laughs) near-death experience a few years later, and um, at that time she met her father, who had recently passed over, and um, she had, again, she had the choice of staying or returning to physical life, and it was, again, a sense of responsibility for her children, bringing up her children, kept bringing her back. Even though she wanted to go to that light and wanted to experience that love again, the overwhelming responsibility was to return. And she told her father, Daddy,
2: I cannot stay. I have to go back. And she did. Well, the idea that we have a mission to perform on earth in every lifetime more or less underscores the idea of the futileness of self-destruction. And so... Uh, that's a thought too. If uh, people are looking to be strong and looking for a reason to stay here, we all have a mission and we have to fulfill our mission. And for those people who have just tuned in, you're listening to Inner Sight. And although we'd love to go on with some of these fascinating quotes about near-death experiences, uh, we want to move on to other uh, aspects of our topic. And if anyone would like to... Uh, order the tapes. We have tapes, um, two tapes, in fact, two shows uh, that are exclusively about near-death experiences, where people speak about their experience. And believe me, they are highly interesting. And for a uh, for a suggested nominal dom- donation, give us a call, and we'll be happy to send those tapes out to you. You can phone us on our toll-free number, one eight six six N Y Lucis. That's one eight six six N Y Lucis. L U C I S and we'll be more than happy to send them out to you and and we primarily take most of our information from the highly interesting work of Alice Bailey the founder of Lucus Trust this show is sponsored by Lucus Trust and by the way you can also I'd like you to remember that the work of Lucus Trust including this program is funded entirely by voluntary donations but most of our thoughts today in fact mostly nearly always come from the works of Alice Bailey uh, she's got volumes and volumes of uh, books that are highly interesting, and uh, the, the book today that we're taking most of our information from is called Ponder on This. It has a multitude of topics. I would really strongly recommend it. It has so many interesting topics. It's one of many of her books, such topics as um, uh, the astral body, uh, the ancient mysteries, Uh, the constitution of man, cremation, uh, crisis, the importance of crisis in our life, uh, the effect of criticism, uh, uh, chapters on death and dying, as we're talking about today, identity, that is, who are we, what is the self, karma, joy. And there are so many interesting topics within that book, Uh, uh, more like uh, 100 topics. So I don't want to read them all, but uh, they're fascinating. I think we can learn a lot from them. But to order our books, if you'd like to order our books, you certainly may, or our cassette tapes, or in fact the tape of this radio show. Uh, you can um, do so, and once again, you can order at one eight six six N Y Lucis L U C I S mnemonic device one excuse me one eight six six New York Lucis if you want to think of it easily. And um, our website is www. org. Our email is new york at Lucistrust Dot org, And we would just be uh, uh, so happy to communicate with you. And uh, in spite of the fact that we survive primarily on uh, donations, we're giving out something for free. We'd like to give you a, uh, a gift, uh, and it's called The Science of Meditation. You simply have to call us up, and you can order a book on the science of meditation. There's so much uh, work being done today and information being given to us uh, from people who investigate medica- meditation, and they're, we're finding out that meditation has a lot to do with healing, a sense of well-being, and so uh, you are certainly welcome to order our Book on the science of meditation at 1866 NY Lucis. Uh, we have more questions though that we'd like to approach. And uh,
0: could I come back though before we move move on? Uh, just one more thought on this life review that uh, Dale was mentioning. It's mm-hmm. a common theme of near death experience. It's um, been said by one spiritual philosopher that. At the solemn moment of death, everyone, even when the death is very sudden, sees the whole of his life marshaled before him in the minutest uh, detail, and that this single instant is enough to show the whole chain of causes that have been at work throughout the person's life. Uh, He sees and now understands himself as he is, evidently, unadorned by flattery or by self-deception. He reads his life as a spectator would looking down on the arena he is leaving, and he feels and knows the, the justice of all the suffering that has overtaken him in him. Well, this is an experience that a lot of people who have had near death experiences mention the the accountability that one has to render at the moment of uh, approaching death and the rightness of one's life the rightness of what has happened to one, all of the the ups and the downs and the defeats and the joys of life, all of it is seen in a light, evidently, that gives it meaning and significance and a sense of proportion to life that enables the soul, I suppose, to move on.
2: Mm-hmm. And one of the purposes of this show and of, um, of the work of Alice Bailey is to eliminate that fear of death. And certainly I do believe that if we can eliminate our fears, especially... That fear that is a common denominator to all human beings, that fear of death, we can lead more productive uh, lives. uh, But speaking about that fear, uh, why is it that people who have a near-death experience, they all seem to, from what I've read, they all seem to lose their fear of dying? And why is that?
0: Well, I think they gain a sense that life goes on, beyond the material plane in a way that le- gives them utter conviction of the continuity of life, that we are not just encased in a very vulnerable physical body that's, what, 90-some percent water, but that uh, we exist on planes that are separate from the physical vehicle and not subject to its, um, its mortality. In fact, the, um, the physician, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, Uh, spoke to this. She's very well known for her studies of the dying process, not near death, but the dying process and all of the stages accompanying it. But she herself evidently had a a near-death experience. Dale interviewed her one time, and she told this hilarious story which, as I recall, had to do with Swiss chocolate and too much coffee, and it led to a near-death experience.
1: <laughs> no, she hadn't, she hadn't drunk the coffee yet, but she was just smelling it. She was sitting at the table with her sister one day in Switzerland, and um, suddenly she felt this uh, um, <clears throat> sensation in her body that she was dying, and uh, that was exciting, exciting exceedingly exciting to her because she here was here she was the death and dying lady, which they yeah. used to call her in the hospital. <laughs> and uh <laughs> now she was going to have to go through this beautiful experience. She's gonna record it all and uh, get down every detail. And uh she went through this experience. She left her body and uh it was just <clears throat> she described it as like a, a skier jumping off a Beef ski Swiss. jump. And uh <laughs> <laughs> she says it was exhilarating, super duper experience, and it was such a, a wonderful, overwhelming. And and she makes the comments that after she came back, actually she came back and she was lying on the table, head down, and she uh, had never uttered a word to her sister, who was there trying to uh, revive her. But this experience, nevertheless, left her with a, a tremendous feeling of love and. <clears throat>
0: fearlessness.
1: Uh, yeah. She says, and she mentions the light, she saw the light, and she says, once you have seen that light, you can never ever be afraid of death. It's the most glorious, the most beautiful, the most undescribable not just what you see, but what you experience. You're totally engulfed in, in unconditional love beyond anything human beings can even conceive of. So... Uh, It's that kind of love that people have had in these near-death experiences that they come back with, and that just Mm -hmm. overrides all fear of death.
2: Do only people who uh, uh, actually die, are they the only ones who have a near-death experience or... Is it possible for someone who's very much alive and not experiencing danger to have a uh, near-death experience?
0: Well, in fact, that is what um, Dr. Kenneth Ring says, that these really shouldn't be referred to as near-death experiences, but as he, he calls them mystical experiences. They're a transcendent kind of experience that apparently happens to people, not just when they are... Uh, at a moment of near death, but perhaps at a point of personal personal crisis or um, in some situation in life that has brought them to a point where they have to move um, beyond their normal resources for coping with life. And it's a transcendent experience that that propels them into this this new sense of... um, uh, of life as uh, existing beyond the normal accepted material realm. That's, I think, the most important aspect of what they come away uh, with. They realize that life continues and that it exists and, in fact, is more expansive and more complete beyond the material realm.
2: What would you say is the most significant aspect of the near death experience?
1: I think. The um, and this again goes back to what Dr. Ring says that uh, you should look at these experiences in their total in the totality in the collectiveness because he thinks that and I kind of agree with him that uh, this is um, um, creating a a sense of an advancement in human consciousness that is coming out through all of these experiences together and that's, that's a tremendous
0: uh,
1: uh, bonus for all of the human mani- for all humanity.
0: And the other thing I think that's so important to take away is the sense that this being of light is in fact, according to D- Kenneth Ring, the soul. It is oneself and one's um, higher, permanent, eternal self that they are seeing. There is much more to us than what we think.
2: Lucius well, Trust has always emphasized the power of goodwill, especially through, through its agency, World Goodwill. In closing, remember these words of Alice Bailey, goodwill is the touchstone that will transform the world. And there's a world prayer called the Great Invocation. It's a call for light and love and goodwill to flow into the world and into our hearts. Let's listen for a moment to these powerful words.